Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, welcome to The Ruck. In yet another triumph for this podcast, here we are, two days after Saracen's win in Europe, and I've got two of the all-time great Fez heads with me today. <laughs> They're chuckling. Um, are Saracens still Fez heads anyway? I, I don't know. I, I was in Newcastle for the weekend and I didn't see a Fez. No, shaking of heads. Anyway, they're all, they all cool. no, they're still there. There are a few, yeah, there are they a few. They call themselves the Fez boys, don't yeah, they? they? I, do. I don't even know they why do. they always yeah. get called Fez heads. Right, they, yeah. Fez boys. These are the dulcet tones of, well, I'm Owen Slot and I'm joined by uh, Mark Evans, one of our favourites on this show, all-round egghead leading coach and administrator in the game, and also the man boss head coach who took Saracens into the professional era. So can we say, Mark, that you recruited Nigel Ray and are therefore responsible for everything that's happened ever since? I was at the very first meeting when we met Nigel, but no, I wouldn't claim that for a second. Oh. <laughs> that's unlike Well, you. it was Nigel or the, or the Sultan of Brunei, I seem to remember. Yes, He was yes. courted. Yes, perhaps that... Then. That might have not been a good call 20 years on. <laughs> I um, I don't know if you're being serious. Did you actually... No, they, they literally contacted the Sultan of Brunei. There's a letter where he very politely declines to come and join them at Bramley Road. The Sultan said no. Yeah, I can't believe it. It's just no. staggering, and really. And Nigel manfully stepped into the breach. <laughs> oh, well, not not a bad runner-up, anyway. Um, <laughs> the uh, the other voice you've just been heard, yeah. heard who hasn't had an introduction yet, apologies, uh, is uh, author, rugby journalist and Saracen's biographer... Mike Aylwin, uh, still living off the windfall of his epic, epic bonk buster published in 1999, the red and the black glory and uncertainty at Saracens. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I, I googled it a few year, couple of years ago, and I think there was a copy available on the internet somewhere for £600. So if anyone... It's a great it. book. £600? Something like that. I think they're quite hard to come <laughs> It was by. limited edition. <laughs> it was a fairly limited edition. Uh, I haven't retired off the proceeds. It's a good read, though. If you can ever get hold of one, I must admit. Although, apparently, I smirk all the time. I wasn't aware of that until Michael so read Oh, that's like, beastly. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, yeah, you've got to be yeah. brutally honest that these books are going to fly. <laughs> I, I, yeah, we did. Well, no, actually, we, we, met. we met at the launch of an obscure magazine no longer with us called Inside Rugby. Mm. And you spent most of the evening chatting up my girlfriend at the time. Did I? Mm. Well, there we are, man of taste, Not as sure ever. I've ever mentioned that before. No, I don't. You have. Yeah. <laughs> oh. And it is that now, Mrs. Aylwin. No, uh, no there's another so, Mrs. Aylwin. So yeah. Mark dro- just drove her off completely. Uh, I clung on to her for a little while, but uh, she never quite got over uh, the meeting with okay. Mark. Okay, all right. Probably shouldn't go any No, I think probably not. That's no, probably not. Um, Mike, that's 20 years ago now. Would you say that your experience of uh, being an insider with Saracens for a season? Two years. Two years? Yeah. Um, th- th- those can be... Th- that's an interesting thing to do as a, as a, as a writer. You can either... You can go both ways. You can warm to your subject or you can feel very pleased to get out at the end of it. Um, uh, uh, well, it was, a fa- it, it was a... I mean, I was... I don't know, mid twenties at the time. Uh, so, just I mean, I did everything but take to the field with them. Basically, I trained with them. I was in the changing room uh, during the match or half time. Uh, sat with the coaches during the match. Uh, so it was amazing. My, my, I got the in from my mate from university, uh, Matt Singer, who was who turned pro. Oh yeah. And he had the idea. We got permission off Nigel, and I was allowed to go everywhere basically and see everything. And uh, it was incredible for somebody just out of university to go almost straight into that as his first experience of wow not just sports journalism but you know rugby up close and personal um so do you would you have been watching the final on saturday with a fez upon your bonds i would not have been wearing a fez on my bonds but i'd have been dressed up to look much like mark evans at the time oh i went to the 98 uh cup final in a um, Saracen tracksuit. In a Saracen suit and right. tie. So you say you feel. So you do feel uh, a great deal of warmth for the club then, or? Oh, I, well, it was a long time ago. I mean, yeah. I certainly. Yeah, you, you get sucked into it. You definitely want them to win back then. 
partly because you want your book to do well. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I, I mean, now, well, I, mean, I go to Saracens a lot because it's a London club and I live in London and, you know, cover rugby in and around London. But um, I, I don't feel any particular allegiance to them anymore. I mean, All right. So so this is going to be a dispassionate deconstruction of the, yeah, uh, yeah, of the yeah. European yeah. champions. Um so, well, they won on Saturday. I think probably everyone who's listening might have worked that out. Yes. Uh, they were fairly awesome on Saturday. Uh, I went away from that hugely impressed, wondering what's going to stop them, because I can't, I can't really see very much out of that that can. These things just don't... Like, I mean, it does, it does seem to me as if every year... Not every year, but every time we get a team... We had it with Toulon, who won three in a row. We had it with Leinster. Um, we've got it with Saracens now. There is a tendency of us, all of us to say, is this the greatest team ever? Uh, and there's no doubt they are a pretty serious outfit. And I think rugby is getting... Well, as we all know, it's getting more and more intense. So in order to prevail, you have to be probably better than the team that dominated five years ago and so on but none of these dynasties last forever um so yeah to be fair i if you dug out my report on last year's final i did ask almost <laughs> exactly the same question will anyone ever beat leinster yeah. and leinster are unstoppable yeah, yeah. they're here well, for we do decades. have a tendency to do that yeah, no, we, mm, you know yeah. it's part of the narrative and we're in it's a noble profession but sometimes we over egg things they i don't think they're finished yet i no. think they've got a lot more um, trophies in them and I think if the game stays structured the way it is and refereed the way it is it's quite hard to see um, too many teams in Europe challenging the two that played on Saturday, on Saturday. I wouldn't write Leinster off no, again no. you know They've played them four times in the Heineken. That's the first time Saracens have won. And they won comfortably. Hmm. Um, but Leinster, they will come again. I'm no doubt about that whatsoever. But I, I think, think the real question is, is there another... Are there another couple? Because for the game... I can say this now as I sort of... You know, because I'm not attached to any particular uh, team. It, what we don't really want... Is, a, is is five years of Leinster with three Saracens. Mm. And, and can you win another way? Because they play so similarly. I had a, I had a really interesting... Just Saracens were better at it. Um, I had a really interesting chat with Wayne Barnes after the game, and, and he was of the view, and I think I tend to share it, that says the team that might beat those two, the teams that might beat those two, but they might get thumped as well, are the sort of... the the offloading La Rochelle, Claremont. I was going to say, it was Friday teams. a glimpse of. Well, well I think what you're you saying is that, is that is that aesthetically we much prefer watching the Friday night game. <laughs> <coughs> but 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 can but can, can you those, win? Can the, the aesthetes beat beat? Be, can be, you win the, the big num- the big titles yeah. playing any other way well, than I think, the big power game? I, I don't know. When you're when you're up against the Saracens or indeed a Leicester who are playing as well as that. You know, if you can if you can execute that game, then offload as much as you want. But well, look, let's not try and suggest that Claremont can't play the power game because, by God, they've no, they got can. enough heavy artillery to yeah. play it any which way. And I, I think we can underestimate uh, Saracens' uh, subtlety. Uh, I know, obviously, the trump card ends up someone like Billy Vunapola or Will Skelton smashing through. But you know, they, I mean that. That, the, the way they finished that try at the end of the first half was absolutely magical, I thought. I mean, the the hand, just the the the, the, uh, the ability to spot uh, the opportunity to miss out Alex Good, who was standing in at fly half, go straight to Farrell, and then Farrell's hands yeah. to put away... Maybe. Having sucked in the, sucked in the defence, and then, as yeah. you say, they moved it very, very uh, well. And Jordan Lama, in a way, notif- I mean... Liam Williams did the same thing uh, at the start of the second half, or early in the second half, where he took a gamble and went in hard on the gu- uh, the pivot and uh, not only tackled him, but won the ball at the turnover. Was Jordan that the turnover Lama, when he was lying down? Uh, <laughs> was it? Like, well, he definitely had both knees on the ground. Right, I suspect yeah, both hips possibly, as well. But anyway, it was, yeah. a, it was a... It was but a Jordan Lama sort of tried to do the same thing when Farrell got the ball away and didn't really need to. I mean, he could have stayed out on Maitland, so... Um, Saracens were obviously helped in that regard a little bit, um, but you know, still the 
the skill, the, sl the sleight of hand to finish it off was um, something special. Uh, and I think Saracens can play, um, you know, the offloading game if we like. Oh, they can, but not um, at the very, very big. Yeah, yeah I, see, I think what you're saying is matches. right, Mark. Is is it, it, compared to the Saracens of four years ago or so, which, oh, which I much which, more, which I found um, not a great, particularly enjoyable view. You know, they, they can really entertain now. But, yes. But but, I, but your point is that when it actually comes to the summit, then, yeah, yeah. then that and is so the game can, they And so can Leinster. But at the, when, it, when, the, when the real stuff's on the line, yeah. we get this very, very... I mean, the line speed on Saturday of Saracens was just extraordinary. And again, you know, I... I, I for a while, because I know if Stephen Jones was here, he'd say, "Yeah, but they're offside. They're, they're not. <laughs> That's the th yeah. they're they're not. I mean, I watched it. You... I stopped watching it for a, the game for a bit and just watched the Saracens line line come up because Leinster were going through one of their sort of fifteen phases, going nowhere bits that happens against a really good defence. That's not a criticism of Leinster. They were trying all sorts, but the line speed of the first five yeah. is just." I think, I think Wayne Barnes has been on this very podcast to put Steve yeah. in his place on yeah, this. I think you know, he has. Actually, um, if yeah. you pause the moment, not always, but as Mostly. often as not, they are onside. They're just bloody quick. They yeah. rush And they're up, all quick. And it all looks as if by the time the ball's got to 10, they've already... It does, um, it does look as if. It does look as if. I don't like to think of Jonesy taking Saracens down for being offside or anything that. No, he, he, <laughs> he admires the mighty Saracens. He does, a great deal, and, and with good reason. Uh, are they, is, is the double an, an inevitability now? Uh, I think so. I mean, but, I mean, look, you can never, obviously, uh, rule out an off day or somebody being inspired but yeah I mean, or a yeah, yellow or a red card or something St yep, stuff like that, happens, that. Um, but I mean really you know la last year they had that Saracens had that strange wobble around the middle of the season where Claremont among other teams smashed them uh, yeah. at mm. home and that put them on the back foot and they qualified for an away quarter final at Leinster which came pretty much straight after the yeah, Six Nations two, two weeks after. so January, all the momentum um, sorry, there was yeah, with the Irish, uh, generally, the, the, they'd won the Grand Slam and uh, Leinster were looking a million dollars and they that was a yeah, journey that... too far. But really, Saracens were probably the second best team in Europe at that point. Um, well, and they could have year, got to a final if they year, hadn't. The, the rest of the season, well, this year they'd be, they'd be able to the, manage their teams so well, haven't they? Yeah. So they, this weekend's almost a sort of a, a rest week for the, yeah, for the team. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it yeah. Is. Totally, and their squad's so deep. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, everyone's. Uh, we've almost forgotten both their first cho choice props didn't make the first quarter. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, no one's even mentioned it. No, mm. I don't mean today. I mean, but just the commentary over the weekend. No, it's almost been forgotten. I mean, Mark McCall, to his credit, um, highlighted it, but it. It it is almost as oh well oh yeah well, you just didn't notice did you, well, if, if you I mean you, you bring off your tight end and you bring on Vincent Cock a tight well, end Springbok yeah, I, mean, I, I mean just it must have the, been a contentious selection in the first place not yes, to pick him true but I mean somebody like Barrington is you know one would have gone who uh, not very long ago a lot of people probably still do go who uh, yeah, when they say that. Richard Barrington but what a game he had and yeah. that's what they're so good at is you yeah. know taking these people complain about the salary cap and so on and so forth but they are superb at taking these unknown people and turning them into uh, people who can slot in or, or yes, someone like Will, Will Skelton I mean, yeah. I mean he, well, exactly. he wasn't an unknown obviously but, no. but, but wow have they done a great yeah. job on him I mean, he, he, look, he looks, he looks a different player yeah um, and, 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 he, and he looks so happy as well doesn't he that was a terrific bit of recruitment yeah you know they've recruited well as well people I mean I know they their academy's good you know, after a you know a, a, a sort of decade when it was really not very good at all, but the last ten years they've 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 really been good at that. And well, like Alex Lasowski as well. You know, he yeah, was, he was a, a little known bit part mm, of what's No, mm. he went to Leeds. He written no, no, the, no. The, 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 there was a lot of competition for Lasowski. Right. He, he, um, he wasn't an England international. Oh no, he was he coming came out of uni. No, yeah. no, no, no. He was young. Um, you know, and they've Liam Williams has played. 
really, really well. Oh, God. You know, yeah, yeah. And, and he is a world-class player. Yeah, I thought he was quite good before he went, actually. Exactly. <laughs> no, uh, but I'm, <laughs> saying, I'm saying they've recruited well. Yeah. I, I, I don't think that's a development story. That's a recruitment story. Yeah. And, I mean, Elliot Daly's a recruitment story. They, that is one they hell have of a recruitment an, story, which we won't well, get into now. Well, there's two world-class players there that, yeah. are, that are being added. And, you know, but... And then the best and, of the lot, the, Alex Good in between. I oh think. no, actually the one and the one that I only forget, Duncan Taylor's not fit. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Who I think is one of the best centres in Europe. Yeah. I mean he's not played all year. Yeah. But that, that that's you know, you are if you're looking at the team going, where, where, when what what's gonna what's gonna come of age, what you know, what what what's gonna be taken away from the team soon? Well not at, much. at some point Brad Barrett is going to be I mean he's thirty three in the summer. But, yeah. but 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 what you're saying? You have got Duncan Taylor if he's ever fit. Who can? What about, and got, this 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 young boy Malins is going to be a sensational player. Yeah. Now they, they, it. Nick I don't think well. it's whenever Nick Tompkins. I mean, if, plays, if, if, he, if, he, if he stays, because he must be going and looking. Well, hold on a minute. Yeah. I thought that 13 shirt or 12 that was going, to, and now it's looking a lot more crowded. Um, it's very rare that people leave, though, isn't it? Um, not often. Um, Nathan Earl did yeah um one or two um no because it's a really good club and i think the people i think players enjoy being there but um i don't think it's quite so much are saracens going to get weaker anytime soon and now in the others is the traditional cycle gonna you know gonna turn i think it's more a question of are enough clubs gonna step up you know can mm. can to lose who in my book, were the most attractive team this year in the Heineken, who beat Leinster at home but didn't really fire a shot away. They're a very young side. Mm. Might they be the team? You know, can Exeter translate their domestic form yeah. over two competitions? Of and the, that's the of challenge. The French teams at the start of the season, I would have said Racing, Racing. would have been the one. I still I mean, think Racing. They, they, I still think Racing could give Saracens a really tight game. So, you know, I don't think it's like a... I think Saracens will be there or thereabouts for a long time. It doesn't mean they're going to win everything. I mean, the question is, is in the context of England, I mean, I know we always talk about Exeter and Saracens being so far ahead of the rest, but actually, I, I, Saracens are significantly further ahead than Exeter. I mean, they agree. comprehensively yeah. beat them in the final last year. And the year before that, again, uh, juggling... Uh, so many balls. Yeah, that was. You know, they they won. They won in the Europe. They were comfortably the best team in Europe. Which means, you know, England, <laughs> so far, is still in Europe. Uh, that means they're the best <laughs> team in England as well. And they Top lost the at right. Exeter in fairly extraordinary circumstances. The week after they'd won, you know. Yeah. And that is so tough. they were the best team in England then as well, by some distance, really. Um, so you're awarding them the. the 2017 Premiership title as well. What? Well, not within by my default, power, Slotty. By default, we're arguing that the team who wins the Premiership is not always the best team. And that's, uh, that, yes. that's, you know. I mean, I, I think they are. There's daylight between them and everybody else. In okay, just like, well, one more comment on the on the European final. So oh. it has been um, hailed as as one of the, the, the one of the, if not the most, sort of highest quality. Uh, club games um, ever, um, amazing contests, etc. Do you, I, I went away feeling all those things, but is, is there a, is there a part in there where we're thinking is that actually the rugby that we want to see at the summit of the game? We, 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 it's obvious what we're saying. Friday night was a different type of rugby, Claremont and La Rochelle, and um, to, to to most eyes, it was far more entertaining. Uh, well, I don't have much truck with this idea that it is, does seem to have some purchase that rugby is an awful game to watch now, or it's not as good as it used to be back in the glory days. For our uh, book, I did a certain amount of research which involved sitting through the second and fourth tests of the 71 Lions Tour in New Zealand, one of the most legendary uh, episodes in rugby history. 
and I can tell you it was awful. <laughs> so, I mean, it really made me quite angry. Not because, look, they were amateurs. I'm the sorry, ball was Mike, heavy can and you leather. now leave the room? Because we're not, we're not actually going to... It was no, but, no, I'm, He made me watch it after that. He's dead. Uh, what, He's what right. Makes, He's what makes me right. angry is this idea that people think rugby was so much better back then. It was awful. There were over 100 set pieces in both matches. And there were the same, roughly, give or take the odd tackle, number of tackles. The same number of tackles as there are set pieces. Just think about that for a minute. Over 50 scrums. Ball being dropped right, left and centre. I mean, it was a shame. No defence. No defence. Absolutely no defence. And we all say, oh, well, you know, the defence is killing the game. Well, actually, it's not. It was just really annoying, the fact that they just didn't come up and put any pressure on the... Well, they uh, just waited for, for attacks mm, to, to well, arrive just, at their doors. Yeah, there, it was just they? no... After a fashion, yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's worth... Look, no it's, on, it's on YouTube if you want to go and... Listeners, if yeah. you want I mean, to go fourth, and look... The second test is a bit better. It, 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 the fourth it, test... It, it's an education. So... Rugby, compared to that now, is uh, it is a different sport practically and it is so much the better. Um, but it is undeniably becoming more and more intense, steadily so. Um, and that uh, game today uh, did represent... I, I've been doing some tackle counts of my own with a special app on my phone uh, because I'm, I'm a bit concerned about some of the figures that are coming out of these official tackle counts and how much it's gone through the roof in the last 10 years Mike, so special stats Special stats El- Elwyn Stat Centre uh, Ones that he's confident in And uh, the the two the, the, most, the, the game that was credited with the most tackles in the Six Nations this year was Scotland-Wales uh, and the official stats have it at 364 tackles I did a count whereby a tackle was every time a ball carrier was stopped it won't be exactly accurate, but pretty accurate. And there's a lot of question marks over what constitutes the tackle, which is part of the problem. Anyway, I had that game and the Ireland-England game at about 250 tackles. The game, I did the same on Sunday morning for, this, for the game on uh, Saturday, and it was 315. So it was <laughs> another level from the Six mm. Nations. Um, and that is another question that terrifies, uh, and we'll probably get on to all of this, but... You know where is the game going to go next? What's going to lead it? Uh, and the fear how, how, of so many ta- in world rugby is that the clubs are going to take over. And you could make a case that Leinster and Saracens would either of them would win the Six Nations. How, how many tackles uh, in those seventy-one lines tests? Ish. A uh, hundred, just over a hundred. A mm. hundred. So that's three, th- over three times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I Mike's a bit more positive than me in the sense that. Thank goodness. <laughs> uh, you know, he, 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 and he's right. I mean, if you go back and look at those, the games that people of my advanced years grew up with, that you have got this halo of myth around them, they really aren't very good. <laughs> okay. Um, there are some brilliant bits. Well, yeah, I, I that, guess that is true. And, and there, there are brilliant, some yeah, brilliant bits. Well, and, yeah, don't so show really me the rest. brought up to, yeah. to see short clip highlights. Yeah, 73 bar bars, Phil yeah. Bennett. And yeah, 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 I get all that. But the rest of the game wasn't like that. Terrible. Yeah. Um, but where I am concerned is it, uh, twofold, really. Um, it's become, a v- it is becoming, if it's not already become, an entirely almost an entirely a power-based game. So if you cannot be... If you are not a very, very powerful athlete of whatever height or um, weight, um, you can't really play it at this level because you will be a weak link in the defensive line and every time you carry the ball, you get put five yards backwards. You know, I mean, I think what James Haskell had to say on his retirement was really interesting about how power is now everything, mm. and, and and to that degree, we're on a line towards American football. That in itself concerns me for a whole load of participation reasons and whatever. But it's not my biggest my concern. My biggest concern is this: rugby union was always about possession, going from one team to the other fairly quickly and often yeah in a tur- you know we call it turnovers but you know back in the day you weren't guaranteed to win your own scrum ball 
you certainly weren't guaranteed to win your own line-out ball. Nobody <laughs> no, could be line-out. lifted. It was sure a the line-outs are hilarious. <laughs> Go back and watch them. It's just it's just an education. And the ruck was uh, like a, a wild west yeah. with the kicking and the gouging and the and God knows who. Sometimes you went with the ball and sometimes you didn't. You, you didn't come out with it quite often. So there was this constant yo-yoing of possession that brought a lot of interest and. Um, sort of light and shade and uncertainty about the game. Now, and it's not something that other codes haven't had to wrestle with, now you can have one team holding on to the ball for four, five, six minutes. Yeah. Yeah, you know, from yeah. when they eventually get it back, and these either are the from teams a, who are top of the, and they are the best yeah. teams yeah. because you're yeah. controlling possession and you're controlling territory, and it's you know, and and they're also though the teams who are good at that are also very very comfortable without the ball. So what don't you get? What's gone from the game to a significant degree? Very few line breaks at the highest level. Uh-huh. Very few turnovers of possession. Fewer than there were even ten years ago. Mm. And um, and very little tactical kicking. Um, not not completely disappeared, and certainly in, in lower games, you see loads of tactical kicking lower down the Premiership. And all, but the really big events, the World Cup finals, the Heineken Cups, those the very top level, a team gets hold of the ball and they will look after it for a long, 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 long time, and eventually they'll kick it to win it back. So the idea of drilling it for the corner, push behind the line, all those sort of nuances. I'm not saying they're gone, but they are far, far fewer than they were. Mm -hmm. And and that, I suppose, that concerns me more than the players are much fitter, they cover a lot more ground, they're much more powerful, etc. Should we we just explain roughly where we're going to to poor listeners? Oh yeah, what are they talking about? They're not in on this master plan (laughs) that I was just going to gently lob in. So so, as I said, you two are um, something of a double act and that is because you are writing a book um, out in September and your book is called Unholy Union, Mm. When Rugby Collided with the Modern World. Right, and um, well I'm uh, this is the sort of thing that I find really interesting. Um, but, Let's uh, hope you're not on your own. Yeah. <laughs> For your sakes, I hope that's not the case. But 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 it, can you explain what it, what is this un- unholy union all about? Um, I'd say there are two major themes running through the book. Uh, the first one is uh, we we put forward the idea that every sport, every professional sport or even serious amateur sports, reaches a point in time whereby it either kicks on and really prospers or flatlines and goes into something of a long-term decline Yeah, for a whole host of reasons. And there's lots of examples over the world where you can sh- show this. And our book is nothing if it isn't a claim that rugby worldwide is at, is at that point now. And we, we have reached a tipping point. The point where it, it takes off or, or, Cur- or yeah. starts to slide. Yes, yes. And I sup- that that's the sort of one... Um, that's one theme running through the book, I suppose. Um, and a lot of it is about, you know, which is it likely to be and what are the forces pushing it in one direction, what are the forces pushing it in another. So it covers a whole load of stuff from... Uh, from from concussion through to um, the the drift of players to the northern hemisphere through to uh, can you restructure the game to participation participation uh, yeah it's it's pretty wide ranging everything that we talk about all the time at the everything moment. we talk about all the time <laughs> it's trying to bring to bring that into a synthesis um, and analyze where the trends based on you know hard data both financially and, and injuries and participation and also tentatively towards the end to make some suggestions about how it might yeah. get on the right we're track. better at criticizing than uh, <laughs> making <laughs> constructive it's, really suggestions di- it's really but difficult. it is uh, because it is difficult this and is one thing i get sometimes when i write a column in the times <clears throat> addressing some of these situations yeah, <clears throat> is, is you, you might say, "Oh, um, concussions terrible, and the, and the, the game's got a problem," or, or 
the economics of the game means that all, all the best players from the Southern Hemisphere are coming to the North, mm. and uh, all these things are a big threat to the game. And, and then typically um, the comments underneath go, well, so it's very well to point that <laughs> yeah, out, but yeah, what are you yeah. actually suggesting well, we yeah, do about actually, it? I think, and and I'll I come do back, try to come up with suggestions. But, I'll, but, I'll come back to the second theme in a minute, but on that point, it's a very, very good point. Um, I don't think it's so much that we don't think we can come up with what we think needs to be done. I think that you can you can make a pretty good stab at that. Whether you think it can be done, given the structures and the governance of the game, yeah. that we're much more less optimistic about. All right, so so let's say that, that tomorrow mm. Bill Beaumont decides he doesn't want to be chairman of World Rugby <laughs> anymore and Brett Gosper prefers golf. Yeah. So you two are chairman and chief executive of World Rugby. <laughs> and we are in fantasy land. And now, you can and you and you can do what you fancy. Hmm. What, what 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 what's the solutions? How do you how well, do you make I mean, rugby is, take uh, off rather than rather than decline? Does rugby want actually want to grow? Shall we call it? Um, and we ask that question a lot throughout the book, and not in a sort of flippant, cynical way. Because we it's both a love it. Genuine question. Do, does rugby just entrench, uh, focus on what it knows and who it knows? You know, if China want to take on rugby, great, let them find their own way, all that sort of stuff. Does rugby focus on what it already has? Uh, or does rugby try to expand? And if it's the latter, then um, strategically, it's fairly obvious, Japan and America are the most important uh, points of interest. Um, but either way, whether... It, Japan and America ever take off or whether they don't the dynamic for a lot of the countries that we would now call I, we hate the phrase tier one uh, the implications are not healthy for a lot of them whatever happens I mean if Japan and America join the party you know how tenuous will the grip of your Scotland's your Wales your Australia's yeah, yeah. even your New Zealand on you know the status quo so the status quo currently is basic tier one the tier one 10 tier one nations have three votes each that's 60 percent of world rugby's vote so they can vote to protect themselves yeah, yeah tier one nations if you run are the game not in, world rugby let's make that yeah, very this is very the thing. clear so poor old brett gosper and his executive i mean they genuinely want to grow the game and they do fantastic missionary work all around the world to do it but does it actually mean anything when the guys in the council with the important votes, you know, would Scotland want rugby to take off in Japan? Because what does that mean for Scotland? You know, they well, that's, are that's already... why they're, they're against um, promotion relegation in six states, isn't it? Scot well, of course. Scotland um, doesn't want rugby to take off in Georgia, really. Yeah. I mean, I mean uh, they're, already, they're on the fringes of an economic monster, which is England and France, which is the centre of gravity of rugby. And rugby's only real prospect now to stop that imploding, a sort of black hole sucking all the resources into it, is if there are alternative centres of gravity, namely Japan and America, the most obvious and realistic uh, options in the near future. But even if you do establish centres of gravity there as well, what are the implications for your Scotland's, your, yeah. all of those? So what do you think, Mark? Are you buying a, a, a flat in Tokyo and a, <laughs> a, a little bot? I'd love to, hole in Las Vegas I'd, or something for well I wouldn't choose Las Vegas but you know maybe North Cal um, I think that drives us to the second theme that we were of the book which is that and, and uh, Michael being the outstanding writer that he is sparing his blushes but he, he really is um, came up with a great image for this which was and it's the sub line of the book which is it rugby what was it what do we call when it rugby collided with the modern that's world. right and that so rugby union, and I do say union, in 1895 when they split with league, sort of almost got frozen in aspic. That's not to say the game didn't change, it didn't grow, of course it did, but the, nothing really changed until the game went pro. Yeah. And so rugby was sort of held back. It lost 100 years. It lost 100 years' worth of, of opportunity and, and, and dealing with issues that other sports like football and American football and Aussie rules dealt with we hardly dealt with any of them then suddenly in 1996 the slingshot gets slingshot gets released and we miss the 20th century and rock it into the 21st you know it, it shouldn't be a surprise that we've got a few issues um 
but and and again that's really what's what the book is about can so we've still got a game that if you genuinely do want it to go globally and i know that can be a bit glib then it has to be governed globally. I mean, FIFA, for we make the, we make the comparison, yeah. FIFA for all its faults, you know, and I know we get really on our sort of rather snobby in rugby about, oh, football, you know. <sighs> what, what, you mean the most popular game in the world yeah. played in 212 countries run by FIFA, who genuinely do have clout, yeah. right, and their regional organisations like UEFA, they have 212 countries with 212 votes, yeah. You one know, country, one vote. One country, that. one vote. Doesn't matter whether you're the tiniest little Cook Islander FA, you get the same vote as Germany. Now, that's got its challenges too, and I'm not saying that's the model we should necessarily copy by any means. But if you genuinely want to take a global view, it's very, very difficult when your constitution, if you will, is set up to reflect a small number of traditional powerhouses. Yeah. And, and that, that's th- yeah. and you come back to the question Mike raised earlier, does rugby union really want to grow? But, but then Mike sort of answered that with, with another question, which is if it does grow, if you do, if you do make Japan and, uh, and America your, mm. the, 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 the great big centres yeah. of, of world rugby, then, then you're threatening... Yeah, either way. Your traditional power. I think you're threatening them less, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I think the threat's basically. there anyway, because yeah. if you carry on... Here's one of the, hopefully, you know, thesis that we put forward that has some merit. It's is um, if you carry on as you are, I mean, the, again, the great image, um, the black hole of England and France will just suck and continue. You know, there's a reason why World Rugby and, it's, and Gus Piscio and people are desperately trying to get some kind of global solution it's because they're trying to pump some money in some incremental is that word again some (laughs) incremental revenue into some tier one countries that are looking a bit shaky and we all know the ones that are and and two of them are looking shaky for reasons Mm. nothing to do with rugby south africa and argentina you know domestic economy they're the disputed, yes, exactly, and, and geopolitics. Um, but we don't do enough geopolitics on this. Podcast. That's true. Um, <clears throat> so thank you for that. You know, it's it's, and then there's rugby reasons in places like Wales and <coughs> Australia. Well, there's four before you've even really had to think too 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 hard about it. Do you so, think you two are going to be employed as consultants after this? I no. would think it highly Come on. unlikely. <laughs> Brett, I know, I know. Brett, what listens every week? Does he? Yeah, yeah he's, he's avid. He's, he's, he's an avid he, listener. He, he, he lives he, in Wimbledon. He, lives he, out the road for me. Yeah. So I he welcome does. his. Look, I think you can people, knock on my door anytime. There's likes. people in world rugby who who, who recognise these trends. It's this is not this is not Nobel Nobel Prize winning stuff. You know, can, it's can we give this conversation a? Can we move from from the macro view to the mm. just to the micro sure. view? Just just because it's topical, and we won't do a lot on it because um. Uh, well, I don't know. Maybe the demand is to do lots on it, but we're running out of time. Right. Um, uh, um, to- to- more topically, the RFU board meets on Wednesday, and I suspect that they're going to be discussing, though it's not confirmed yet, uh, whether the Premiership um, expands from 12 to 13 teams, uh, stops traditional promotion relegation, and has an end of season playoff between the bottom team in the Prem and the top in the Championship. Um, that I think is where a very long debate about promotion relegation is going to end up. Um, uh, you uh, rugby consultants, do you think this is smart or not? Uh, I well, I, to my mind, I, I, it has taken me quite a while, like with all of us, I think, uh, to change our minds on this. But now it is just so obvious that relegation and promotion has to end, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and we were discussing earlier the farce that is the fact that we had this incredible weekend in Newcastle over uh, over the weekend, and you know a lot of new people have been introduced, not maybe not to the game, but they will have gone. Thirty percent of the crowd were from the northeast, right? Right. And so then, all those then, new then, people then, are then coming through go, the gate. Right. Where can I get me more of this next season? Ah. Sorry, Newcastle have gone. There is no club service. Hang on, fifteen months through, think they'll be back. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's no on, club in the top quarter of the country, uh, north of Manchester. No Premiership. Club. No Premiership club, sorry. Yeah. Um, 
and that strategically is a disaster for English rugby um, and it shouldn't be allowed to happen and next season what if well next season London Irish are going to London Irish put together a incredible squad they very like well could quite possibly up. not yeah. go down uh, they're then going to move to West London where Harlequins already are um, then you could even have if Newcastle don't come back up uh, you could have Ealing coming up and you could have someone like Leicester going down Leicester with 20,000 people at a match Ealing with Ealing have the second lowest attendance in the championship average 900 oh they've gone up this season uh, they could come up. You could have three clubs in each other's pockets, one of whom, I mean, you wouldn't even call it a cult following. I mean, it's it's not a professional... Ent- or, sorry, it is professional, of course it is, but it's not a commercial uh, proposition at this point. Uh, and I, it won't be if they stay where they are. Which is do, do you think minimum standards in the Premiership, you, you should have a minimum average crowd? I mean, that, that well, would be I one th- way. I do, yeah. I think, I mean, well, it's important. how did you enforce that? But um, Well, you just look at their crowd and, I mean, you're the stats man. You can do it in <laughs> two seconds. I mean, it hasn't taken me 20 years to come to the view. I've held this view since Yeah, well, I remember this I, was I, a I, live I, discussion. I, when I, Mike and I first met in 1997. I held this view then. I think yeah, we could I, rewind to a few other podcast episodes yes, where you have a spouse. It goes a lot yeah. earlier than that. Um, and I would say that... You know, we can get very. I know. I know. We're bringing it down to the micro to England, and actually, for all its problems, and there are major problems in, in like there always will be. There are major problems in English football. Doesn't mean it's not successful. You know, um, there's no kind of sort of mythical state you get to where there are all the issues are resolved. It just, just, life isn't like that. I mean, English rugby, along with French rugby. Although I did hear over the weekend some people being very concerned about French rugby participation wise but I don't know enough about it that with French win the Football World Cup and, and all the rest of it and that really would be a challenge that's the biggest market rugby market in the world if that starts to shrink mm. then then we then there really are some issues but English rugby has got some very very strong fundamentals and then we can agonise about promotion relegation you know 45 million collective loss amongst the premiership clubs this year up from 31 the year before you know there are some things to fix here but English rugby fundamentally is a big market with a lot of clubs Mm. and quite a lot of followers Mm. Um, there are other countries in tier one that are in a much much more precarious state than that and once you get beyond tier one you have the whole issue of how do we underpin the tier one countries that we can't afford to lose but have enough resource which basically means money left over to invest in the tier two countries that we think genuinely could become Mm. tier one countries and i know this sounds incredibly um sort of uh manipulative but georgia's only got three million people and japan's got over a hundred million people i know where i'd invest my money but But this is the point i mean the 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 Two collections of islands in the Pacific, Jap- Japan, and then, of course, our beloved Pacific Island nations, yeah. Fiji, Tonga. Of which um, there is a whole chapter in the book, which is a whole story yeah. on its own. Oh, stop it. I just can't uh, wait now. But, you know, you've got one... cut. The, the, the number of registered players in Tonga... Now, we discuss how much we can trust these figures from World Rugby. Well, but anyway, I, I know that you've done your own stats. Uh, <laughs> the number of... I haven't counted the registered players in Tonga. Uh, yeah, but it's more. a quarter of the population of Tonga. Uh, Fiji, if you uh, take the half that um, is uh, native Fijian, as opposed to half, nearly half the population of Fiji is Indian, uh, came in the 19th century... They, don't, they well. don't really Thank play you. rugby. But if you take the half of Fiji that does play rugby, uh, their um, registered number of players is about a fifth. Of the I think. total I can't population. Yeah, it is. No, it's about 100,000. Yeah. yeah, it is about Because it's, yes, Japan and uh, Fiji have the same number of registered players, roughly. Japan is a nation of 125 million. Fiji is a nation, the, the half that play rugby half is half a million. Now, rugby is totally saturated in the Pacific Islands. There is no prospect for any growth there whatsoever. 
So you turn your back. This is this is economics. This is there's nothing uh, sinister about this, or or it's a simple logical uh, um, sequence. You turn. You end up turning your back on the nations that adore rugby that uh, have grown up they've given rugby the rugby world more than any other nations you turn your back on them because it's just not economically sensible to invest any more in there and you end up going for this well, other you just you just nailed another problem rather than a solution there well no, i know i know no, no, I think, you've, no, not, no, you've no, lost I your job agree. as chief executive well, well, well i'm not think, disputing that it's what, uh, one, what we're not saying it's it's, it's a tragedy it's the tragedy's too strong but it, it's 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 a travesty that this happens, but it is inevitable. Uh, you, you, one, the, the Japan okay. couldn't care less about rugby, mm. relatively speaking. But look at the numbers. It, of course, you end up going down that road. Uh, right. That's professionalism. Unholy union. When's it out? September. September. Yes. First. Oh, just in time for the World Cup. Obviously. Just yeah, in time yeah. for the World God, Cup. How did you time that? That's very clever of you. Uh, I think the publisher insisted <laughs> that's that's from, from memory. That's when Mike puts his final. But I mean, what, stop we're, on. what we're trying to do, you know. We, we're realistic. We, we just like to move the agenda, or at least inform, help to shape the agenda. It's we keep coming back to it. You know, we believe, and now we sound like sort of almost like a statement of faith, that the game, which we both have loved for decades, is at a tipping point, and it could go either way. Okay, thanks. I mean, I think that was. I think it's fascinating, and I, I, I completely agree with you in, in that I, I feel. Have felt in the five years I've been rugby correspondent at this newspaper that these issues are piling up and that some that they can't just carry on being loaded like this. There's a solution, and as you say, it could it could be that could could work or it could not. Premiership weekend, we uh, the big issue is who's going to finish uh, fourth and qualify for the semi-finals. Um, Northampton on 56 points and play Exeter away. Harlequins are on 55 points and they play Wasps away. Who uh, will qualify? What about Wasps, though? They they need something, don't they? So they can still get into Europe, do they? Uh, well, yeah, well, OK. Well, we, yeah. There's, there's, yeah, there's a can. European so issue. So Wasps have got something to play for. Is... Wasps do have something to play for, yeah. yeah. Well, Exeter... Uh, you know, it's interesting, very unusual uh, situation they're in. Um, they qualified ages ago. Yeah. Uh, they are struggling. I mean, I was down there for the Harlequins match um, recently, and they probably should have lost it. Um, certainly could have lost it. And, you know, Rob Baxter admitted afterwards, we're, he called it an, ev- an emotion vacuum. And, and he's concerned, and I don't think... Uh, He's wrong to be that what if we can't rediscover the way we normally play when it matters? And so they are vulnerable. And I think if Northampton really want to win that game, which quite clearly they do, they could win it. I think Exeter will win. I I do think they will recover it. Um, And I think at home... Um, they've they've rotated. They've I agree. They've been. It's very. I mean, they they've 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 been waiting for the playoffs. But you, it's really psychologically. I think they'll be up for it, which I don't think they have been for the last mm. few weeks for a whole load of reasons. You know, you look at it now. Three games to go. They'll be saying to themselves, the first one, and we hope, and then we hope the first two. Well, no, the first two at our on our own patch. Right, we got to get going. Yeah, but do you it's not think time. they've been saying that the last few weeks as well? well I, mean, I think they might have been saying it. The bottom line is they don't have to win it. I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm sure they've been saying it, but I'm not sure they believe it. Well, I think why do now they suddenly believe it now. They also don't have to play all the, play all their best players, do they? They will. I, I, yeah, I'd be I mean, really, be really surprised if yeah. you this weekend. I could be wrong, of course. I'd be really surprised if you don't look down the extra run on team and go. That's the that's the A squad. That's the A team. That's the semi final team. Quinns at Wasps. Hmm. Uh, I think Quinns are a bit more than the sum of their parts. I mean, because you, you 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 go through the team and you, you you look at certain bits. You know, both their first choice wingers are injured, and you think, mm, but actually they're pretty cussed and they're they're pretty sort of they 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 hang in. To game, so they're everything they weren't last season. Correct, and the season before that. And and I think <laughs> they will just narrowly scrape a win at 
at the Rico. I may be being accused of Quinn's bias here because they, you know, they are still. No, I think you're beloved. Yeah, I think they Wasps are, have they an are. ability to lose games uh, this season. Um, yeah, I mean, well, we're, we're, in a how did they lose that game at Bath? I mean, but, but no, I think yeah. If you push me, I think Quinn's will get fourth slot. Okay, I'm going to go Northampton. Okay. All right, well, that's that's what we like about a debate. And okay. um, a, we, uh, as usual, finish on our, our god or goddess of the week. Your, oh. your favourite, um, uh, whatever. Well, uh, I wanted to say Alex Good because uh, I love him. Okay. Uh, but uh, actually, I'm going to say, uh, even though I absolutely don't know him, um, Mickey Steele Bodger. Oh, uh, good show. Well done, you. And also, you a, have a, to a, a, a who you're talking about. Sorry, he's the 94 year old, was mm. he? President of the Barbarians, the man who invented the Barbarians um, and uh, came to symbolise it more than anyone else. We, and of course, Barbarian rugby comes to symbolise something that. You know, we might call nostalgic again, you know, the flamboyant way just of just wrapping up every theme on this podcast. Every theme. Anyway, what? poor old chap. And the other thing he represents, he's a hero to me because he is renowned for his drinking and he lived to be 94. There's hope for us all. <laughs> uh, so he died uh, last week and uh, so I'll make him my God of the Week. I, 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 well I feel you. I'm going through the motions here and I'm not going to win yeah, this week. He's, 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 I'm going to say, because I occasionally do um, choose inanimate objects as you know and I'm going to say the city of Newcastle oh. Three. do you know what I, that's what I was going to say as well I so you're out voting oh, no, I, 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 I am obviously biased I seriously biased. was going to say that I am obviously biased because I worked on the project but I say working with Newcastle City Council and other people in the Falcons and Mick Hogan and his team and, and that I was a, I wasn't running it I was helping them and they, they, they took the risk you know just great people to work with it was a great event to work on and I just love the fact that probably for the first time since um, uh, maybe since the Middlesex Sevens almost, walking around the city, it was like the rugby tribe that I belonged to. That that it wasn't just Lancer fans and just Saracens fans. They were there. There were people there from all over um, Great Britain and Northern Ireland, mm. that, that, and, and and the Irish Republic, it, it, and and some French. It was just. A great celebration of this strange little game that we're all partly obsessed with. Well, I, yeah, I, yeah. I was going to say Newcastle as well because I I thought it was a magnificent weekend and I thought they were terrific hosts. And uh, as we discussed beforehand, uh, if the RFU could be or PRL could be persuaded to take the Premiership final up there one year uh, or two henceforth, then. I think that would be a magnificent job. But, but we'll go back to Newcastle. I don't think Mickey Stillbodger will no, pass won't. away again. M- Mickey Stillbodger, is, is, <laughs> is he is our god of the week. And, yeah, uh, and with that, so. we, we bring this to a close. Um, Mike, Mark, thank you very much again. No, that cheers. was uh, really Absolutely interesting. No, thank you. coming on. Um, Unholy Union out in September. Uh, the Ruck's out this afternoon. Hey. And it's out again next week as well. Uh, thank you, everyone out there, for listening. Uh, back again next Monday. Uh, see you then. <laughs>